today by giving us theological underpinnings, and then once we built the foundation, I'm going to give the practical application, which is going to be an incredible opportunity to live the truth that we talk about out. But let me warn you again, I did this at the beginning of the service, if you came in late to one of our campuses, um, this conversation is sobering, and it's heavy, and it's an adult-level topic. So if you have young children that came into one of our campuses with you today, you might want to consider using our incredible children's ministry. They are staying late today at the check-ins in order to serve you if you choose to take your children out. If you're listening online and you have children old enough in the room to understand what's going on, as we approach the end and the application of the message, you might want to put your headphones on. Let me begin with the theological foundation. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking into various aspects that define the church. Not a particular local church, but the Lord's church globally and eternally. We've looked at the beauty of the church, the way Jesus sees the church. We've looked at the worship of the church, the way we view and honor God. We've looked at the future of the church. But we can't have this conversation today and not look at the mission of the church. This is one of those things that Jesus could not have been more clear about. I mean, some things that we learn about, there's room for imagination, not with this. After his resurrection, Jesus spends several days leading, coaching, mentoring his disciples about their mission in the world and what that's going to be after he ascends into heaven. And in the last verses of Matthew's gospel, Jesus clearly articulates the primary mission of the church. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This passage has been referred to for centuries as the Great Commission. So as Christ followers, as the Lord's church, this is what our leader has commissioned us to do. It is our purpose. It is our why. It is our mandate. This mandate from Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it's the reason we exist as a church. It's the engine that runs everything that we do. We plan, budget, hire, schedule, gather, teach, literally everything we do is measured against the Great Commission. If we're fulfilling it, we're winning. If we're not, we're failing. It's the motivation of why we gather in worship services like this. It's the reason we serve our local communities the way we do. It's the reason we're so involved in global missions. It's the reason we gather in small groups. It's the engine that drives our generosity that advances God's agenda in the world. And in the Great Commission, you see an underlying principle that keeps reoccurring throughout the Bible. And it's basically this. Once you realize the depth of God's grace... To you, and you experience that grace, gratitude will overflow from your heart, and you're gonna to wanna to do something about it for God, for people. You're gonna to wanna to pay it forward. You're gonna want others to know and experience what you now know and have experienced. Think of it this way grace first, and then gratitude becomes our motivation for loving and serving others for the glory of the Father. 
His grace changes us, and that grace then overflows our heart as gratitude. And from the abundance of the gratitude overflowing from our heart, we love and serve others for His glory. Grace, gratitude, glory. This is exactly what God told Abraham in the first three verses of Genesis 12. It's one of the earliest places in the Bible where you see the missionary heart of God. So much so that some scholars even refer to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, as the Old Testament's great commission. In these words, God is laying the groundwork for the mission of his church all the way back in Genesis. He says this, Genesis 12, verse 1, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. This is a call, an assignment, a mission. And when Abraham says yes, God says, this is what I'm going to do. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now that last part of that promise, all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. He says to Abraham, I'm going to do something through you, Abraham, that is going to bless every people group on the planet. And we now know that Jesus came through Abraham which is how God fulfilled that promise. But don't miss the principle. God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, for the sole purpose of you being a blessing to others. You're going to be blessed to be a blessing. God says, I'm going to show you my favor so you can show my favor to other people. What I'm doing in you, Abraham, I want to do through you for the sake of others. So grace received fosters gratitude, and that gratitude then becomes a fuel that motivates our love and service to others, all for the glory of God. Here's a simple way to think about what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12 and what Jesus said to his disciples and to us in Matthew 28. It's a simple summation of the mission of the church. Those that have been rescued by grace are called to rescue. The rescued become the rescuers. You see that principle beautifully play out in an incident in King David's life. David was a mighty warrior, but in this one rare moment, you see him weak. He is exhausted from constant battle with the Philistines, and he's in such a vulnerable moment in a battle that he almost loses his life. Listen to this in 2 Samuel 21, verse 15. Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel and when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Ishbi Benob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him. But Abishai, one of David's mighty men, son of Zeruiah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Abishai saw what was about to happen to his king, and he rose up to defend him. David's life was saved because Abishai rescued him. And there's no doubt that David was incredibly grateful to Abishai. But we know because of what we read in the next chapter that David saw Abishai as an instrument of God's grace in his life and he saved his ultimate gratitude for God. And you see that when David turns his testimony of being rescued into a song and he sings it in 2 Samuel 22, verse 17. David saying, He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, 
but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Abishai did the deed, but God received the glory because David saw his rescuer as an instrument of God's grace. As you study the mission of the church from Genesis 12 to Matthew 28 all the way to the end of the Bible, you keep seeing God calling us, those that have been rescued, to be what Abishai was to David. He's calling us to be that for others. We are to be the instruments of God's grace coming to the spiritual, emotional, and physical rescue of people in our world. That's the mission of the church. God wants to use you, and he wants to use this church to rescue others and in the process bring him glory. And once we've been rescued by grace, rescuing others is not really an option. Rescuing others becomes our calling. It's our assignment. It's our mandate. Listen to the insights from the writer of Proverbs Proverbs 24, rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. There are some incredibly desperate situations in our world right now. And we cannot rescue everybody in every situation. But when atrocities are being committed and doors because of unique relationship open up in front of us that give us unique opportunities, we can't pretend that we don't know and wait for someone else to act. We have to come to the rescue. Human trafficking is a $150 billion a year criminal industry in the world. Globally, there are about 50 million people being held right now in modern-day slavery. And the estimates are that about 7 to 8 million of those are being held in the prison of sexual slavery. Sex trafficking has always existed, but it's only been in the last 20 years or so that people have really become aware of just how many people are impacted by the far-reaching devastation of the industry. About 30 years ago, I met David and Beth Grant. They were missionaries at the time and serving with Mark and Hulda Buntain at Calcutta Mercy Mission. Decades ago, as they saw the horrors of child prostitution in the red light districts of Calcutta, God put it in their hearts to live out the gospel by becoming rescuers. They started building homes for these street kids that were being forced into prostitution. Five, six, seven, eight-year-old girls forced as prostitutes and being sold. The Grants and their team put their lives at risk, sheltering these kids, providing their housing, medical care, education, all while meeting their spiritual needs. Those were the early days of what has become known as Project Rescue. If you've never read it, I encourage you to pick up a copy of a book they wrote about it called Beyond the Soiled Curtain. It is moving, heart-gripping, Heartbreaking, but also rewarding at the differences that are being made. Project Rescue now runs 27 safe homes in 11 different countries on four continents where they house women and children who have been rescued from sexual slavery. In addition, they run schools and clinics and job training and counseling centers. David and Beth Grant are not just international ministry partners in North Place Church. They are personal friends, trusted friends of Haley and I. Matter of fact, they've played a significant role and us becoming pastors here almost 20 years ago. 
It's a story I don't have time to tell, but when I was unsure about the next steps in our life as a family, I was processing out loud with David, sitting on the steps. I remember exactly where I was seated, sitting on the steps of an auditorium, and his prayerful wisdom and advice was a big reason that Haley and I surrendered to the process of the pastoral search here in 2005. The Grants and the Project Rescue Team have recently felt the need to address an evil that is so severe it can only be described as demonic. It's occurring among a group of people known as the Banchata people in India. The Banchata are about 60,000 people who live in 76 different villages in the Indian state of Madhya Pradesh. The Banchata people belong to the lowest caste in the Indian society. We don't really have anything to compare the caste system to, but basically when a child is born, they are born into a caste or a certain social group. It's kind of like a pyramid where the elites are at the top and the untouchables, the majority, are at the bottom, and there are a few exceptions. You are locked into your caste, whatever caste you were born into, with few exceptions, you are locked into that caste for life. The Benchata are at the bottom of the pyramid the lower caste, they are extremely poor and have a very low literacy rate. For over 500 years, the Benchata people have a custom. They have sold their daughters into sexual slavery. It's a part of their religious beliefs. It begins by dedicating their newborn girls to the goddess of prostitution. At the end of that dedication, neighbors and family and friends will come over to congratulate them in the celebration for the future profit they are going to make by prostituting and selling their young daughters. From the first day of her life, a little girl is seen as a commodity to be sold. Between the ages of 10 and 12, girls are sold to older men to become child brides. And if she's considered a very beautiful young girl, she's sold for as much as 15,000 U.S. dollars, the equivalent of three years' income there. Those that aren't sold as wives are prostituted by their own families to generate income. Families expect their girls to become the main source of their income, and people who want to have sex with children are their target customer base. From all over India, men drive to Madhya Pradesh to have sex with children. Many of the girls are forced to work out of the very home they grew up in. With the youngest of girls, a father will negotiate the price of his daughter's virginity outside the front door of her own home. When an agreement is reached, the customer is allowed into the girl's room where she grew up, where she played as a child, where she slept. It now becomes her prison. The place that was supposed to be a safe place has become the most dangerous place in her life. In these communities, prostitution is not presented as a choice. It is a mandate. It's a way of life. It is their caste. It's their prison. It's the expectation. Although children are enrolled in schools at a young age, most drop out at either the fifth or the eighth grade. But by the fifth grade, the school dropout rate for girls is 100%. Every Bonchata girl is trafficked. Little boys are trained to become pimps and managers in the sex trade. Brothers are trained to pimp out their sisters. Nobody is encouraging these children to follow their dreams because dreaming of a different way of life for them has never been an option for 500 years. They don't even know what it is to dream a different dream of a different life. Project Rescue's goal 
is to have a presence in and bring transformation to all 76 Bonchata villages. Currently, their teams on the ground are reaching out and building relationships with families, trying to earn some relational credibility, telling them there is another way of life for you, there is another way of life for your children in the 500-year-old cycle of prostitution. They are building credibility with these people by providing medical treatment for expectant mothers and treating children with HIV. They've built schools to provide education for children beyond the fifth grade, giving them the option of a better life and future. In their culture, education is the only way for them to climb out of the place where they are at the bottom of society. Project Rescue is trying to help these families see a better life for their children than the cycle of prostitution. Right now, there are currently 255 students from 22 villages studying at the Bunchata School. On that campus, there are also two safe houses for rescued boys and girls. Mostly girls, but there are some boys there as well. Both homes are full. On a recent trip to India, a pastor friend of mine, uh, he's one relationship that I know that's been there the most recently. I talked to him headed into this. He's the vice president of Project Rescue and serves as a pastor. And I talked to Rod over the last few days and I said, give me some people that you met. Tell me some stories that you recently were there. And he told me the stories of Ramesh and Asmi's girls. Ramesh and Asmi are the Banchata parents of two daughters, and there's a photo of their two girls that is coming up on the screen. Their plan was to sell their older daughter and then prostitute the younger. But when the Project Rescue team started talking to them and sharing with them that there is another way, Ramesh and Asmi made the decision to trust their daughters into the care of Project Rescue. And as they talked to Pastor Rod and as they testified literally to him about how discovering the love of Jesus in their life, how it impacted not only them, but the destiny for both of their daughters, it changed their entire family. Both of their girls are now in the school. They're beautiful girls and their smiles tell us all it's worth it. Every dollar is worth it. From time to time, you'll hear a story about someone that has escaped sex trafficking. But I want you to think for a moment about the difference between escape and rescue. The definition of escape is to get away from something, like you did it, you got away on your own. The definition of rescue is to free or deliver from confinement. So somebody got away because you helped them get away. That's what it means to rescue somebody. Escape is all about helping yourself. I have a plan. I can do this. I'll figure out a way. I'll fight and force my way out. That's escape. But these girls can't escape. They were born into this. It's their culture. It's the practice of their families. If they could get out, they would, but they can't. They have to be rescued. The difference between escape and rescue is that in rescue, someone else helps you break free from the trap. Someone with a little more information, a different perspective, some insight, a different plan. They lend you their hand. Think about it this way. You're stuck in quicksand. And you know enough about quicksand. The more you struggle to get out, the more you sink. But if I'm on drier ground, firmer foundation, and I reach my hand out to you because I'm on a solid foundation and I start pulling you out, you're not escaping, you're being rescued. And today we have the opportunity From now throughout our Advent season, this is going to be our Advent project, to reach out our hand to these girls and pull them out of darkness into marvelous light. It's not easy. It's emotionally draining and exhausting. It's not without opposition. 
It happens in partnership with their families. People fight to keep the girls, to keep making money off of the girls. And Satan fights because this kind of evil is spawned in the very bowels of hell. It is a physical and spiritual battleground. It's expensive, but it's worth it. Every girl, every time, every soul, every life. And if you've been rescued by grace, we really don't have an option than to become a rescuer in some way. It's our biblical mandate. It's the mission of the church. The rescued become the rescuers. Proverbs 31 says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. I want, you to, I want to introduce you to a couple more of the girls and their stories. Uh, this is Rakumari. Uh, you're going to see a photo of her. This is a precious little girl. Her mother ran away when she was a baby, and her father committed suicide. Rakumari's gr- grandmother didn't want her and couldn't afford her if she did, so she decided to sell her. But right before she was sold, Rakumari met one of the leaders of Project Rescue in the Banchata village, and immediately was drawn to him because she felt safe. So Rakumari's grandmother had a conversation with them and decided instead of selling her, she would give Rakumari to Project Rescue. If it wasn't for God's perfect timing and wonderful plan, Rakumari would be another statistic, another girl sold, her innocence shattered. Today, instead of being bound by the chains of trafficking, she has a safe place to live with a family that loves her. She has her own bed, she loves to paint, she loves to do crafts, and she dances with joy like little girls are supposed to. And the sparkle in her eye is a testimony of hope, peace, joy. It's the love of Jesus and his church on display. The next girl I want you to meet is a miracle but her situation is fragile. As a matter of fact, the Project Rescue team knew I was going to be talking about her today, and they asked specifically that we pray for Arushi's fragile situation. This is an image of Arushi. She's from Pajamara, a village about 12 miles from the Project Rescue home. Her mother had planned to sell her, but the Project Rescue team working with them through a lot of prayer and fasting and conversation, the mom agreed to let Arushi come to the home and come to the school. Arushi was on campus for a few days before her mother took her back. The team was devastated. They came together again as a team and started fasting and praying for Arushi. A few days later, Arushi was returned back to the home. But again, her mom took her back. After a lot of convincing and talking, she agreed to let Arushi come back to the home only if Project Rescue would also take her son, Arushi's brother. So Arushi moved to the girls' home, and Karish moved into the boys' home. Arushi's father wants her to study. He wants her to be educated. He wants her to get a good job and have the chance at a different way of life. But a mother wants to put her into prostitution to make money for the family. And even after dropping her off for the third time at Project Rescue, her mother told the team that one day, no matter what Project Rescue does, one day Arushi will still become a a prostitute. The Project Rescue team specifically asked us to pray today against the wicked schemes of the enemy that are aimed at Arushi. Pray that God would change her mother's heart. Pray that God's good plans for Arushi's life would materialize. The children of Madhya Pradesh are beautiful. 
They laugh and play just like your children. But without our help, they're doomed to a future in the sex trade, boys and girls. Because both homes on the property now are full, there is an immediate need to build a third home. The third home is going to be specifically for older girls starting at ages 10 to 12 and all the way through the teen years until they're prepared for university and college. We need to give the Bunchata families a different option and teenage girls a safe place to live. Let me give you a little orientation here about the campus there. I want to just, so you kind of have a visual of what's going on. On the far left, the colorful building on the far left is a preschool, the little white building. That's, there's a K-1 and preschool area there. The larger building, the blue and white building in the back is the first grade through high school. In the middle, there are three little white buildings, concrete buildings next to each other. Those are staff housing, teacher, staff. The girls' dorm is at the far bottom uh, right, and then the building next to it is the boys' home or the boys' dorm. And if you go just above on the edge there from the boys' dorm, there's a dirt patch. That is where the new construction is taking place for the new home. It's going to be a 20,500 square foot building that will include, in this home, there will be six vocational training units because these are for older girls and the girls are going to be taught job skills so they don't have to return to prostitution for a way of life. There is kitchen and a large dining hall, there are guest rooms, there's a beautiful garden area and a dormitory space that will house 84 more girls. The home is going to be the biggest and the best building in the entire area. It's a place of honor, hope, testimony and healing. The total cost of building that home is about $789,000 and if you're doing the math in your head, that's a little less than $40 a square foot. Don't you wish we could build that cheaply here? Our goal is to partner with Project Rescue to help them rescue girls before they get sold, break the generational cycle by giving girls an alternate future, and break the 500-year-old stronghold of the enemy in these villages. These girls need a safe place to call home where they're going to be loved and valued and treasured, where they can sleep without fear in a room that is filled with joy and peace. The Project Rescue Team literally becomes their family. There are countless stories of children that have grown up in their homes where they have celebrated college graduations and wedding days and master's degrees for young people that didn't even know they could dream those kind of dreams. North Place has always picked a project for Advent at the end of the year. We've done this for a long time. We've helped enroll children in feeding programs across the country with Convoy of Hope. Uh, We partnered last year with uh, One Hope to put Bibles in the hands of a million children in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I really was looking to do this last year, this project rescue, and some things just didn't materialize. There were some challenges in India, and, and so it's been 18 months on the back burner, and the timing is just right. One of the reasons we do something like this every Advent is we're looking for something to break the cycle of selfishness and consumerism that plagues our culture's version of Christmas. We want to be intentional and discipline ourselves to focus more on what we're giving away than what we receive. And this year, during Advent, we're going to help Project Rescue build this home. They're currently raising the funds for the home and the support needed to feed, house, educate these 84 girls that will live there. There's a slide that's going to come up on your screen that will break it down. You can do the math. 
if it's just under $40 a square foot, a 500 square foot room for the girls would be about $20,000. Between now and the end of the year, there are some people in our church who could build a room. If you want to think less about the building and more about the girls, the cost of providing housing, education, food, clothing, and health care for a child is $3 a day. Anybody can bless one of these girls for a day. Or you could do it for a month, $93 or a year, $1,095. When I was talking to Project Rescue early in the year about our Advent project, I committed to them that North Place would give at least $100,000 at the end of our Advent season. That does not have to be the lid, but that's what we have committed to. And I really want you to consider how you and your family might respond between now and the end of the year. We're not taking an offering today. I just want this in your heart how you might adopt this as your Advent project. And I will tell you this, our kids team is presenting this project to your kids in a very different way than I'm talking about it here today. So if they come back and talk to you about $3 a day to help a mistreated kid from India have a place to live where they learn the love of Jesus, that's the way they're talking about it to them, not the way I'm talking about it to you. This is a project for us as a church family. Now I know, I know, because I've had the same question sometimes. There are people that listen to this online or in our church and like, okay, but why are we doing this in India? Why not right here? Because trafficking is an issue right here in the U.S. And I'm glad you asked. We're working on it. It's going to take some time and we have a lot to learn, but we're learning and we're investigating. Haley and I have literally traveled the world this year from Europe to Africa, India, learning from people on the front lines of ministries that are confronting the trafficking industry, specifically with children, trying to find transferable principles that we can bring back here so we can have a home similar to theirs in Dallas. Haley and I want our legacy to be what we did for hurting children, and part of that would be engaging the epidemic of trafficking with children that happens here. People don't even realize that the I-35 corridor is one of the most trafficked corridors in America. We don't even know what we don't know yet. It's a long way from happening, but it's our dream. It's a part of a bigger dream, but this is what I do know. This is what we've always lived by. If you want your dreams to come true, invest in someone else with a similar dream. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. So we're going to invest in the dream of Project Rescue to build this home for girls. And we're going to address the future dreams of these girls by investing in them. And then we're going to trust our dream to God, knowing that unintentionally, There are seeds that are being planted for our own dreams as we help make the dreams of others come true. It's kingdom principle. What I want us to do here in just a moment, there's a a video that we're going to play, just more footage of the campus, some construction updates that have happened. You'll see some, some of the building going up, some of the kids. But I just really want that to be background as you talk to the Lord, you kind of sit and wait in a moment of reflection and response. God, in the next several weeks, between now and the end of the year, as a part of Advent, where everybody's talking about what am I going to get, what am I going to get, what do you want us to give? We always look for a way to combat selfishness in our lives. How can we join our church and be a part of this? What will that look like for us? And then let God chart a course for you over the next few weeks. 
Let this be the beginning of that conversation. It may take some time for it to materialize, but that's why we're not doing anything today. You know, we're not asking for anything today. We just want this to be in your heart over the next few weeks. There will be ways to give that I'll talk about in a moment, but I just want to take about 90 seconds, 90 seconds, let you view these images, and we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing it live at every campus. Um, the song we've sung is a worship song in the past. It's You Never Walk Alone. And I want you to imagine us, our team, singing that over the girls. Okay, We're telling them this is a promise from the Bible. You'll never walk alone. But the hope is that by the time they engage the grace that we want to offer them, that this will be their song, this will be their testimony. So watch this. Prepare your heart. How you might respond and imagine the girls singing this one day as their own testimony.